This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. We are back in the dark room. We're talking Lovecraft today. Uh, coming in hot after Castaneda and yeah. Dante. Yeah. That was a one-two punch, man. We had some flim-flam. We visited the underworld. Getting good feedback about those episodes, Brad. People seem to like it. Yeah, yeah. No, and they were fun to do. And they were, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, these marathon sessions sometimes line up. We do one and we do the other. And it's, it's uh, we feel like we've got some momentum. So it's fun. Yeah. And then we sleep. Yeah. But not for too long, <laughs> not, for too long. <laughs> not for too long. And yeah. we're joined today by another Kelly, believe it or not. We've, I'm uh, being swamped. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going mad uh, from, from Kelly's. Uh, Matthew Kelly is here of Dark Pony Radio. Matthew, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Just got back from vacation, which has been rough, but fun. <laughs> Same time. The vacation wasn't rough, but the return was rough. Ru- the return was rough. The vacation was exactly what was needed oh good all right good. right on yeah. well and, and matthew is uh local to the twin cities and let me get a get a plug in here uh matthew anyone here mm-hmm. in in the greater metro area in minnesota will even let you come over from wisconsin we are doing a reading of my new play thing that i co-wrote with abby lucas next monday uh september 18th at Waldman Brewery. You can find the information at badmouthtc.com. If you're listening to this in the future, you can still get over to badmouthtc.com. We put a lot of content there, a lot of radio play type stuff. Uh, The reading's free. It's a new play called The Edge of Liberty. It is a new comedy 
about liberty-minded, niche internet micro-celebrities exploring the frayed edges of freedom in contemporary America. It is a sex comedy. You are not going to want to miss The Edge of Liberty. From Bad Mouth Theater Company, Waldman Brewery, September 18th, in the foul year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you, Matthew, for, for giving me time to make that plug. Anybody in the Twin Cities, anybody around the area, come out. We're not putting this one online yet. So if you want to say, I saw the Edge of Liberty first, I was early, you're going to want to get out and actually do it. And I'm just going to I'm just going to plow ahead here. Uh, while we're while we're plowing, I'm gonna gonna plow ahead and say we have an after dark prepared for today's episode where we talk with Matthew about H.P. Lovecraft, a very popular topic. People love Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I know Brad has something prepared for the after dark. This is for Patreon, Patreon only, Patreon.com/slash Art of Dark Pod. Every episode, a bonus mini episode. We did it for Dante. We did it for Castaneda. This is the way. This is the mm-hmm. way. The truth and the Patreon. You want to get in there. Brad and I are building a pod. We've had some nice, uh, nice steady growth on Patreon. Would love to see an, uh, a big jump in numbers sometime, but we appreciate the nice steady growth. If you want more independent media, truly independent media, codependent media, that's us, <laughs> right? So support us. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. Legitimately, you make the show. If you support us, you are you're putting. There's no middlemen here, all right. There are midmen here, but there are no <laughs> middlemen, all right. So and and Patreon, you know, yeah, they take their cut, they get the vig, but yeah. most of it ends up in our pockets, and mm-hmm. it it inspires us to continue to put in hours and hours and hours of work into this show. Patreon.com/slash Art of Dark Pod. What do we have for the After Dark, Brad? Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit and it's going to be uh, it's going to jump off of something else we're going to at least touch on in the core episode. But we're going to talk about the relationship between Lovecraft's at the Mountain of Madness and a pretty wild Internet conspiracy rabbit hole about just what the heck is going on down in Antarctica. Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah. And I, on the After Dark, am going to peck around and find some fun links and find some goofy stuff about the Metallica Lovecraft connection. My teenage daughter is a certified metalhead on her own. She became a metalhead. She's listening to Lamb of God now. Uh, uh, She's going in directions (laughs) I never even went. And she sends me stuff and I'm like, this is very, very hard. This is heavy. And she goes, I didn't think there was anything. I'm taking her to Tool on Halloween. It is going to be, it is awesome. I'm a very proud father. And Metallica, she loves Metallica. So I am getting Metallica pilled all over again. It's like I'm on my paper route again, 14, 15 years old, listening (laughs) to this stuff. And I had completely repressed or forgotten the Metallica connection to Mm. Lovecraft. Lots of, lots of Lovecraftian Metallica songs. So we're going to talk about that on the after dark. And of course, anything that's sort of left on the cutting room floor from the main episode as well, as always. Sure. Sure. The bloody bleeding cutting room floor the uh with all the tentacles <laughs> eldritch, the wrong, the eldritch <laughs> shockingly eldritch <laughs> cutting room floor well matthew that was a protracted intro so uh, can you tell tell people about yourself what is your interest in lovecraft tell people about dark pony radio where they can find you yeah all of it 
Yeah. Uh, first off, uh, I mean, uh, I'm a co-owner of a, of a theater company local in town uh, called Shadow Horse Theater. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of my, I mean, originally my art and creativity and theater all came from, out of school and improv and people and whatever random thing I could do in, in college. Uh, but now it has morphed into Dark Pony Radio Show, which is the podcast that we write, which is mostly horror fiction because I love dark, creepy things, and all it seems like the world does too. Mm-hmm. So I love making people feel uncomfortable uh, performance-wise, not in real life. That's just weird. But right. <laughs> as far as like performing, yes. Um, and I, I got into Lovecraft, not like everybody else did. Like I'd heard Lovecraft. I'd known certain Lovecraftian things, uh, but I didn't start reading them until maybe like four years ago. Uh, actually like sitting down and reading uh, the novellas and the short stories um, up till that point, I just knew of things here or there and connections and what was what, but nothing, nothing substantial. Uh, then I started reading. Uh, then we ha- did an episode for, or two episodes actually for uh, our podcast, our radio show at Mountains of Madness. And then we, and then I wrote a sequel slash adaptation um, for Mountains of Madness with a little bit of the nameless city rolled into it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so took had our own take on the Lovecraft lore. Um, awesome. With it as well. So it's, you know, finding the connections, even with Edgar Allan Poe, things like that, all the way through. I mean, even Del Toro, one of my favorite film people, there are all those connections of just like throughout my horror and throughout my journey as far as being creative has always been there. I just never really like focused on it. Yeah, he's sort of he's sort of Lovecraft is sort of there in countless places, really, mm-hmm. isn't he? When you get into when you get into the the creepy dark side of of you know narrative arts and visual arts too, it's he's kind of he's kind of right there. And he and then he is also sort of the bridge for the people before him too. Mm-hmm. It always feels like right. He's sort of like there's Poe before him. There's 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 a bunch of other people, um, Machin before him, and other people. But he feels for us now, Lovecraft feels like the bridge between kind of what's happening now in that world and what was happening in like the 19th century. You know how they say that your brain doesn't really fully develop until you're 25. <laughs> I think mine waited until I was 35 because uh, at a I did not. At a certain point in my life, I put two and two together, and I and I said, "Oh, Ghostbusters is is a Lovecraftian, just pure Lovecraftian horror comedy. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's yeah. not even subtle. It's it's all <laughs> just right there in your face. I mean, short of mention, mentioning the Necronomicon, I mean, they talk about Tobin's Spirit Guide or whatever, but it's right. it's just right there. We mm-hmm. accidentally wrote a Lovecraftian comedy, Abby and I. We wrote a, a comedy called Doug Must Die. That's right. That and, really it, Lovecraftian. It was, yeah, and when it was over, we're like, oh, they're they're looking after the Necronomicon. They're trying to find the Necronomicon. <laughs> they're like, whoops. <laughs> oh, and the fun story about that, I don't know if you, I've told you this story, Matthew. I may have meant said it on the pod before but we we finished that screenplay the script and it's uh it's about a uh a life coach a junior wannabe life coach from LA whose uh fiance dies so she moves to Austin um and ends up getting death as a client death works for the IRS right so it's about a, a hacky life coach who gets death for a client right it's a comedy they the big set piece at the end of the script uh is that they go to the Georgia Guidestones 
to go find this book. Uh, and they blow up the Georgia Guidestones. And we we quite literally put, like, finished the first draft of the script, like, a week before they blew up IRL. <laughs> yeah, they actually blew up. That was pretty bizarre, man. We, I gotta say. We were, we were texting a little bit. It's like, okay, all right, interesting. <laughs> what do we have to write next? Somebody <laughs> right. wins, wins the lottery. <laughs> right, okay. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Screenwriter, oversexed screenwriters, jet set. Yeah. Uh, you know. Fall <laughs> <laughs> into money. Yeah. Loved yeah. by all. Uh, yeah, well. In any case, yeah, you see it. You see it everywhere. The Lovecraftian link, and now increasingly more explicitly too. Mm-hmm. They trade on the name Lovecraft Country and all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And I right, and, and it, sort of but... rightly so. Yeah. Well, I want to before we dive too far into it. I want to because I want to know a little bit more, and I want our audience to know a little bit more about Dark Pony Radio. So it's sure. podcast. You have horror fiction. Is this? Mm-hmm. Is this? Um, how do these episodes come together? Is it you writing? So, is it? Yeah, just give uh, us a little more juice on sure, that. Sure, sure. Uh, so, um, it came out of uh, obviously like a love for radio, uh, but trying to not necessarily replicate classic radio because, well, we're not in that time frame. We have cooler, funny, more unique ways of making sound, doing fun things, unique things, modernizing, cinemizing it. Sure. Um, so we were trying to look at another avenue of what we could do uh, artistically uh, pre-COVID and then COVID hit. And then we're like, oh, we we should fast track this concept uh, because who knows when we'll be on stage again. Um, But we originally took uh, classic radio pieces. So some of the show has some of the classic radio pieces, like Three Skeleton Key, um, Sorry, Wrong Number, uh, Mm -hmm. just to get the ball rolling, getting people accustomed to our hosts, things like that. And then we have slowly been pulling away from that and doing adaptations of other pieces. And also now, I think most of the next season that's coming up, season three in October, is going to be almost all uh, original content that has either come out of my brain or uh, workshop together with some other people. But it's, cool. yeah, it's so it's kind of like a spatter of all of it. It's very anth- anthological, cool. kind of, but set in this weird... Um, this weird dark pony world where our two hosts, the pale lady and dark gentleman kind of run things. Um, cool. And we're going to be introducing a new villain on top of it and possibly an actual protagonist in the world. We don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody you're rooting for this. No, this uh, sounds, this sounds sure. really cool. Um, yeah, no, it sounds And really just trying cool. to, ex- yeah, just trying to explore horror fiction on all levels, trying to see, push the levels of what we can do as far as in the, you know, audio first medium, you know, clearly we can't do the, we can do blood and gore, but we can't show the blood and gore. So how do we make that same feeling of you wanting to vomit while watching someone rip be ripped open, but you just hear it and you know exactly what's happening. So uh, I'm pushing our sound engineer quite a bit this, this, this coming season to see what we can do um, with body horror and other sorts of uncomfortableness. So very, very aren't, cool. Yeah, yeah. A- Abby and I are writing something for this too, right? I have yes, to check my actually check my calendar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the first time we're hiring outside um, writers oh. for uh, production because we usually bring in featured actors to to voice for two episodes along with the cast we currently have. And uh, at the end of season three, our final two episodes, uh, Kevin here and and Abby are going to be writing that 
Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see okay. what that's going to be like. The cool. true horror. It's gonna be, uh, <laughs> um, but it's yeah, like, you know, it, it's funny you talked about Dante because we did a whole Inferno. Uh, we did a three-part Inferno saga, which was... Oh, did you? Re- oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you're intense. here. It's, it's, we're, uh, <laughs> this, is, this, this makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, yeah. You know, just one thing, I, I think it's really cool trying to find these, because audio only is clearly its own art form with its mm-hmm. own uh, opportunities and, and and limitations that aren't, aren't in another medium. So I think that's really interesting, thinking about what you can do with that. Um, but one thing you said, it just it's something I've been thinking about... <clears throat> And you said sort of during COVID, really, this kind of accelerated mm-hmm. a little bit. And our show, we started during COVID. I really think, give it a couple more years, you're going to look, we're going to look back and then COVID for all of the, not even to talk about the politics, any of it. I think we're going to realize like, there was actually like a little creative boom there. A bunch of stuff started. A lot of things kicked off then that are cool. And we're glad they're around, you know? You, I you, think a lot you know. of people were cooped up and... I think the stuff that I think a lot of people said, okay, enough. Yeah. We're it's it's time to take this into our own hands. Would you yeah. you're nodding, uh, Matthew? Would you agree? Yeah, uh, yeah. I I was I can't remember what I was reading. I think it it may have had to do when the splant and the Spanish flu hit. There was an uptick in theater and creative work as well. Whenever there's a big world event that just kind of crushes people's souls, yeah. uh, stuff <laughs> entertainment all of a sudden comes out of the woodwork and everyone Mm -hmm. looks back and going, Oh my gosh, we had a huge upsurge of new writing, new styles, new, Mm -hmm. new types of genres, new things that came out um, in that period. uh, Yeah. And I I feel like every, every second or third person we talk to on this show has some, some bit of their self promotions like, and yeah, so COVID happened, and what we decided to do was so. I don't know, it's just that it's man, just, we we really cool. we got to call Fauci up and really uh get people <laughs> dropping, in the, <laughs> dropping in the streets. We got to revive the culture, <laughs> get it, get it right. <laughs> so, uh, so one thing you said you did an adaptation uh for your for your radio show of At the Mountains of Madness. What mm-hmm. what is At the Mountains of Madness to you? Uh what appealed to me was first accessibility uh, for people who want to get into Lovecraft. I feel it's a really easy story to get into without getting, uh, you know, that and and a lot a lot of people talk about the Cthulhu one as well being mm-hmm. easy to drop right into the lore. But At Mounds of Madness is so independent and is tied to the lore, but not in depth like some of it. It's very much a you you could say standalone piece mm-hmm. that people. If they want to keep reading into it, they they can. If they don't, they're like, "I'm good. We're done here." Right. Yeah. Uh, they can be and just get the enjoyment of that. Uh, so part of that was that it's also not adapted as often as a lot of the other pieces. It's not talked about as much. I know um, for a while there there was discussion that Camilo de Toro had the rights to do the film, and I think there's some actual like treatments out there for it, um, but that got taken down i don't know like uh, a couple of years ago i think that okay. was one of the things that got lost due to COVID. i'm not sure yeah on that yeah. but uh so there really hasn't been like a film ad- adaptation like a hollywood film adaptation i should say um but it to me i like the idea of of madness beyond the creatures beyond the gore beyond the lore like the mm-hmm. slow descent and even the story itself is a descent and it's like as they're walking, you're getting as mad maddening with them as as they are. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, maybe let yeah. me. Let, well, I want to talk Brett, more about. Let me set it up a hey, little bit. I should have. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, set it up. But I want to say at our uh, annual retreat, at our annual trust exercise in the woods that, that yeah. Brad and I do, where we sit around the fire and uh, sort of torture each other yeah. um, <laughs> more than we usually do on the episodes. The private, yeah. the private torturing. Yeah. Uh, Brad, you mentioned that you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And curiously, you talked about how you started to go crazy at the yeah, top you, of the mountain because yeah, of you the do. depletion of oxygen. So yeah, Brad too yeah. has been at the mountain. I have been madness. at the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sleep yep, deprivation, that's a real thing. oxygen deprivation will definitely, you'll start seeing things and you'll lose control mm -hmm. of your emotional state for sure. Um, and we do get a little bit of that at, at, at the mountains of madness for people who maybe are listening to this. And this is a Lovecraft story that they haven't read. Let me just give the brief, kind of this is what at the mountains of madness is it, it it's the the frame of it is um there is a uh a scientific expedition to antarctica from lovecraft's miskatonic Mis university um and this is the first person um uh recounting from the leader of that expedition this guy i believe his name is william dyer he's the geologist on the team and he's basically just explaining to explaining what happened when when they went on this this expedition to antarctica and his his hope is um that though some of this story is public he's hoping that he can prevent other people from going to antarctica and continuing to explore and the one thing to keep in mind is when this story was written it was 1931, I believe Lovecraft wrote it. It didn't come out until 1936. I mean, literally, I think in 1922 was the first time a human set foot at the South Pole. So Antarctica is still very much in 1931 is still very much a um, the off the map it's the part of the map that used to say here here be dragons right it's be like really, going to the moon right. going to the moon right yeah. so so lovecraft was very he was very particular about getting the details he could get right he about getting those right and then what was sort of left he allowed his imagination to flower and and what what ultimately they find and they they come across some some sort of what they sort of think might be fossils, but but basically specimens that are a little bit ambiguous in terms of are they minerals, are they animals, what are these things? Um, they're in Antarctica, of course, so the conditions are very intense at times. The crew, the 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 group gets split up. Um, one part of the group is dies in some kind of catastrophe that's not entirely explicable. All of this is very mysterious. It's it's it because it's this first person. William Dyer doesn't always know what's happening. It's sort of it's it's a little bit vague about how one thing led to another at times. At other times, it is in, in what I came to love Lovecraft fashion. Um, almost. Like he spends several pages explaining to you the uh, the the geo the the geo probe drill that one member of the team invented for the purposes of scientific expedition. Like it's literally like I think three or four pages that he's just explaining how this drill works. Um, so it gets it's very technical on that standpoint, and he explains every little aspect of how the expedition works, like from a um, from a if you were putting together an expedition, you could maybe even follow some of these steps that they that Lovecraft has laid out. Um, suffice to say, uh, eventually uh, they encounter a mountain range that's clearly not on the maps that's higher than the Himalayas. 
they fly over it. And I don't remember if the mountains are part of it or when they fly over it, they basically discover a city that is some millions of years old. It, it's like abandoned now. It's like ruins, but it's clearly some millions of years old um, built by people by uh, people who are not humans. Uh, and they begin to explore this and then they learn about the cosmology and the mythology and the lore of the of of this place through looking at murals, basically, <laughs> um, which feels a little bit like a cheat because it, uh, Dyer seems to know an awful lot about the intricacies of how they governed themselves and how their foods, food worked and all these other things just based on looking at some murals. But it's an interesting literary device nonetheless. But so throughout this process, Dyer and the other members of the group either lose their lives or lose their minds, essentially. Um, so that's kind of a that's just kind of a setup for people who haven't haven't listened to it. That's sort of the 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 highest level view, um, not going too too far into to too many of the details. Um so I'm kind of curious, did you find yourself doing your adaptation? Did you find yourself taking big cuts? cutting big chunks of this out eventually i had to mostly for time and mm -hmm. just uh like i think when i first wrote it i i tried to stay as true to step by step as it could go and then was like okay yeah. we're on page 50 uh right. let's cut this back a little yeah. bit um yeah. you know and just like any true adaptation i had to take some i don't want to say liberty but actually make choices for my characters myself a little bit just to because it is a radio show, I still need to describe certain things a certain way. We have to do things. Um, there's only one part I was very upset I had to cut just due to time. Mm -hmm. But everything else, I, yeah, I think some of the expedition stuff, when they're actually going through the city, I had to cut down and just be like, we're here. Now we're here. Right. Uh, we saw some murals back there. Okay, now right. we're looking at new ones. Right. You know, right. And just kind right. of pull right. some of the lore out because it does get a lot. And it would get confusing after... Uh, just listening to it for so long, it would get a lot, you would get lost in just that lore. And I, I mean, there's something to be said about making the piece be that way so that when you're just as lost as they are, that would be kind of a fun thing. Um, but I don't want people to turn it off. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. How, how do we find that happy medium? Yeah. So, so yeah. How do you think it, it, it's interesting? Because as I'm reading it, thinking about it from sort of a technical, like the craft mm -hmm. of writing standpoint, I got very curious about like, how is Lovecraft with this? Because I, 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 I will tell you. So I, I was we were talking before I, I read it back when we prepped our our, our deep dive on uh, Lovecraft's life that episode but then I was listening to it again in the last couple of days just to refamiliarize myself with it and I realized that like I'm kind of I am freaked out about it like it it unsettles me but I'm also <laughs> weirdly bored at the same time and I don't know if any other writer has actually made me feel that particular mix of things before <laughs> um and what i was curious is like your your thoughts matthew was how do you think lovecraft manages to because a lot of times what a writer does to make a, a reader feel something is they have a rich character and william dyer isn't particularly a rich character right he's sort of just matter of fact this is what happened how does lovecraft I... make us feel what he makes us feel do you think I think because he's such a stock character almost, 
it does f- give that intention, at least when I was reading it, mm-hmm. uh, that you are like the way you read it, the way you experience it, actually you are the, the dire. So it's very much like that POV found footage kind of feel uh, by making a, I want, for lack of a better term, a bland character. I mean, he's not bland, bland, but right. uh, he is not. We spend more time hearing about and caring about like Lake and their team yeah. and, you know, uh, all the people that, you know, at the end and all those, all those people we care more about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we care about the person that built the drill, like you said. Right. Like, I want to know more about that person because right, they, like, right. they name them like fo- th- their yeah. name is a part of the expedition. You're going, what yeah. is happening? Yeah. They and he's never, like never even on the just, scene, really. He's nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just there, just built the drill and was like, right. go have yeah. fun. Right. <laughs> you know, right. So, yeah. um, yeah, uh, I think I, but, there's, I think there is something to that. It, it allows you to kind of put yourself in directly into that place. That's a good, that's a really good point. Yeah. And also, you know, media has changed. So the, the, what we, what we experience from like film, TV, movies, books, uh, are, I won't say quite a bit different, but some, you know, especially with Antarctica being a brand new place, allowing for that much detail, I think is, it, it would be like going to an unknown fantasy world like Token, where we, we spend how long talking about all the different names of the fellowship and how many uh, of their families descended upon families. And everyone's like, I'm into this. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> right. um, yeah. But it's almost like he had to create a whole brand new fantasy world because no one's ever been there. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's really well put. And I think, like we were saying, I mean, this came shortly after. So there's this whole period of Antarctic exploration that ended in like the mid-20s. So people are going to... It's not that people know... It's not that a lot of individual people had been there, but there was probably a lot in the air still about, oh, Shackleton's expedition and Bird's expedition and and Edmondson's expedition. And maybe you see a grainy, half-whited out photo that somebody took from there, right? So it's sort of present, but it's still very mysterious to the public, I would think, that it's still, you know, you know it's there, you know people are going, but it's still kind of, and people are, half the people that go there die, it seems like, and, you know. There's, yeah, I mean, there's... extremely dangerous. Death is just part of what you sign up for when you... Mm-hmm go and yeah. so brave but also like kind of there's probably a little bit of anxiety around yeah. uh colonialism for lack of a better word or also like wh- what is left after we explore this mm-hmm. are we is the whole world just going to turn back in on itself and then that sort of expeditionary energy got turned into the moon and then okay i guess we went to the moon and uh, or whatever else you know <laughs> but i mean no but there's all sorts of weird subterranean feelings you know that i imagine lovecraft was channeling and and uh the limitations of reason the limitations of science yeah go on matthew well i mean you can even talk about jules verne in that same essence too you know with like during the center of the earth things like that uh you know all these fantastical worlds that really aren't fantastical but but they are um yeah there's that's all there, I had. <laughs> yeah there's there's this there's this there is this sense of like can the world sort of under our feet or right around us be perhaps mm-hmm. more mysterious than we really realize and i mean that's part of the 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 whole at the mountains of madness uh, it, it does stand alone as its wor- own book, but for the of the Lovecraft I've read, it also it has chapter. I want to say chapter eight or nine is basically William Dyer breaks down 
his interpretation of all of the murals and he's going into things like um i might even have like a little bit of it here like <laughs> let me just read this let me just read this pair couple paragraphs for people and this is chapter, right. and this chapter is the part of the pod this is the part of the podcast where brad Le reads lovecraft <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't think do we have we don't have any like we have no bells or whistles no intro music mm -mm. just that's it yeah <laughs> <laughs> enjoy enjoy <laughs> The full story, so far as deciphered, will shortly appear in an official bulletin of Miskatonic University. Here I shall sketch only the salient highlights in a formless, rambling way. Myth or otherwise, the sculptures told of the coming of those star-headed things to the nascent, lifeless Earth out of cosmic space. Their coming and the coming of many other alien entities, such as at certain times, embark upon spatial pioneering. They seem able to traverse the interstellar ether on their vast membranous wings, thus oddly confirming some curious hill folklore long ago, told, long ago told me by an antiquarian colleague. They had lived under the sea a good deal, building fantastic cities and fighting terrific battles with nameless adversaries by means of intricate devices employing unknown principles of energy. Evidently, their scientific and mechanical knowledge far surpassed man's today. Okay, he keeps going on like this. Now, there's a part. Let me see if. Hold on, I it's, it's science it. fiction too. It it's, is. It's a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's every bit as plausible as Castaneda. Right. It, yeah, that's a good point. So this is this is three paragraphs later. He's still explaining this, and I'm not going to like hammer this super hard, but I want to like kind of depict how hard he's going on this stuff. Um. Of the life of the old ones, both under the sea and after part of them migrated to land, volumes could be written. Those in shallow water had continued the fullest use of the eyes at the ends of their five main head tentacles and had practiced the arts of sculpture and of writing in quite the usual way. The writing accomplished with a stylus on waterproof waxen surfaces. How does he know that by reading a mural? Um, those lower down in the ocean's depth ocean depths, though they used a curious phosphorescent organism to furnish light, pieced out their vision with obscure special senses operating through the prismatic cilia on their heads. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a couple paragraphs. Government was evidently complex and probably socialistic, though no certainties in this regard could be deduced from the sculptures we saw. There was extensive commercial, both local and between different cities, certain small flat counters, five-pointed and inscribed, serving as money. There's a guy out there who's there's a guy out there who's against socialism because right. the old ones were probably socialists. <laughs> right. Uh, they had always been. I get all my. <laughs> Be careful getting your politics from Lovecraft. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's yeah. Let's Just, underline. Yeah. Underline that. That part. Yes. Uh, they seem to have been peculiar, peculiarly intractable toward the middle of the Permian Age, perhaps 150 million years ago, when a veritable a war of resubjugation was waged upon them by the marine old ones it literally it just keeps the, and i'm just reading like yep. a couple sentences from paragraphs so he's doing this like um and i, I got reading about the sort of history of this story it was rejected early on by um the, his primary publisher because it was too long and it eventually came out serialized five years after he wrote it in 1936 and uh he Lovecraft kind of thought he did write a couple pieces after this, but he died in 1937. And this is actually sort of the story that ended Lovecraft's, um, I guess, passion for writing in a way. He said something about this effectively ended my this this work effectively ended my fiction career. Um, and I just got kind of thinking about it as I was reading it, like thinking about why did this 
is this ending it because he feels like he doesn't have anything else more to say? Like it's sort of the final thesis or is it the he's lost his mojo? I, I don't know. I don't necessarily expect you guys hmm. to have thoughts on that, but I, it's interesting to read somebody's last sort of last thing. And it has this um, real strident effort to sort of get these details across. I don't know. Which, which is amazing. Yeah. And then you get to the end and it's completely different. Yeah. Like no detail. This thing happened. And now what? And like, that's right. it. And you're like, wait, what? Right. Um, I, it's weird because it, it does feel like a, a culmination of all the lore, all the stuff he's been writing. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of can assume that the reader has read some of his other stuff that would allow for that. It's, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I guess I don't know. I haven't gotten to the end of my career of wanting to stop right. like writing. Right, right. Uh, you know, and it could be anything that just took the passion away or just put them in a spot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. everyone stops something for some reason that sure. may well, not have anything to do with is, the writing. This yeah. is what I was thinking. I'm not a, I don't know what Brad covered Lovecraft. I, I know what he's told me. And I used to, you know, in high school and university, I read a bunch of this stuff. So it's been a while. Um, and I know Metallica was really into, is really into Lovecraft. And we'll talk about that on the after dark. Uh, but it, it, it seems to me like, this is this would be like if Dante had written the Inferno, but then never got out. Yeah, and how how much of that are you going to do? Right. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he was a love you know like a one note guy. No, but no, no, he was. I I could see why you might just go. I'm I'm putting the quill up. I'm done. I'm done right. writing about the old gods that are, that make people yeah. ins- insane. Right. Right. You know. Well, there there is a kind of a thing, and 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 we don't know that what his you know what his take on this piece was in terms of did he think it was his masterpiece but i could see a thing where you you in a writing career where if you did write the thing that you thought oh i finally really did it like i finally brought to fruition the vision i had i finally did it and people are like no this is too long or you know (laughs) we don't care that you might just be like oh fuck this (laughs) that's it i'm done that was it i mean what am i gonna do i can't do better than that you know i could sort of see that being a being a motivation or a demotivation i guess would be the phrase but yeah yeah i it it, because it it it, like i said it's it feels like a standalone episode of everything he has right you know yeah like almost like a prequel to what is going to happen uh in this world that we have yet to go even though we get all these conversations about them reading the murals like it's like a dictionary. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing to say that they didn't already have a base understanding of the world that Lovecraft created, of the Necronomicon, of the old gods, of all this already. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, you know, it's like Indiana Jones finding that one little bit and going, ha here we go. Right, and, right. And it's all, it all just kind of comes together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because it was, it, it, definitely was written during a time of like exploration in, in real world. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that's when we started getting a lot of your archeologists do, you know, studying, digging up the world, finding things, finding the, the ancient cultures, like that stuff was happening in real time. 
sure. Yeah, and, and there is, yeah, and I think there is, that's kind of what it plays on too. The the story plays on these fears of like, if you start digging up, like it might be, re- you might find stuff that's really unsettling, right? Like mm-hmm. you start finding stuff that forces you to like confront what your idea of what this world is that could be sort of that could be sort of psychologically dangerous for people um and i feel like almost that's the danger that william dyer is trying to warn people off more than the threat that you might be killed though that's there too there's sort of a like we opened a box that um we're not really ready to look into and other people shouldn't (laughs) But though it's like he, after the fact. You know, <laughs> yeah, though he is writing it down all for you to read right? it, right? But yeah, yeah. That's during the expedition, he's like, let's do this. Right, uh, right, right. I'm here right. for it. Yeah. What yeah. What, what? can we unearth? Uh, right. And he keeps, he does, he does once or twice say, William Dyer does once or twice say something about like, you can't understand how compelling it is to have, you know, like he, he, trying to justify why they keep going, even though it gets more and more horrible as they go. There's these, at one point, there's these, uh, for people who haven't read it, there's these, and this is a cool, cool. And one of the more disturbing parts of the whole thing, the six foot tall blind albino penguins that no, the, um, the degraded Shogoths have been uh, harvesting <laughs> for food for millions of years. Oh, that's so dark. <laughs> I, I, that was the part I had to cut out. Cause oh, just, <laughs> cause I, we were, we were doing a, a read through of it. And they're like, why are there fucking penguins here? What is this? <laughs> it's like, oh. Boys, it's called it the Mountains of Madness. I mean, yeah. yeah. The way he writes it, though, it it mm. sets you up for something so horrific, and it does do that bait and switch kind of thing where all of a sudden it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, just the thought of seeing them in, in in real life, like in a darkened corridor, hearing penguins, then you see one that's bigger than you or as big as you. And you're yeah. going, okay, yeah, I'm either gonna die or this is really cool. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, and it's and it stinks and it's it doesn't have eyes and it's albino. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it is it is kind of unsettling. But yeah, There's... a penguin wouldn't be my first choice. <laughs> like, like I'm sitting down, I need to think of an animal that's really gonna freak people out. Like I. A penguin would be pretty low on my list. Yeah. But it's it's something so simple, something so real that you would find there. Mm-hmm. And because I mean they knew of penguins. It mm-hmm. wasn't like they didn't right. They, they, they weren't existent. But you know, it it's and I think I think he even writes it that way of like it was so normal. It, that's what was terrifying, is that we've been hearing weird sounds, we've been seeing weird things, smelling, tasting weird things. People have been dying, and there's a penguin now. <laughs> right. Here's um, how he describes the Shagaths. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. It was a terrible, indescribable thing, vaster than any subway train, a shapeless congeries of protoplasmic bubbles, faintly self-luminous and with myriads of temporary eyes forming and unforming as pustules of greenish, greenish light all over the tunnel-filling front that bore down upon us, crushing the frantic penguins and slithering over the glistening floor that it and its kind had swept so evilly free of all litter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it goes so hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I love that stuff, and yet, like, it's funny, there's... Lovecraft never met a... Uh, uh, what what is the an adverb that he didn't like? 
he likes all, every single adverb i was listening along and there's a there's one like probably two or three page section where he uses the word holy as in w-h-o-l-l-y like this is a holy unsettling he uses that word like five times in three two or three pages <laughs> and he's just going so hard he's just saying i can't describe this here right. let me describe it i right. can't right. describe this thing it's yeah <laughs> It's yeah. it's so iconic and and uh, fascinating, and I think it's going to be evergreen for as long as uh, um, people are interested in in mm -hmm. horror. I mean, the dude went as hard as anybody ever has. I was looking at the cover too on Wikipedia of Astounding Story. Yes, where <laughs> yeah. it was first published. We got to return to that man, that energy. I mean, Brad, you're wearing your Apocalypse mm -hmm. uh, Confidential shirt. Yeah. That's a different different vibe, but still yeah. like. What's what's stopping you? Do you need a do you need a a, a planet wide plague to start something? I mean, that's right. what you're doing. Uh, you know, Matthew with Dark Pony, you're, you're doing the thing, man. It's mm -hmm. good. We got to come. We got to get back to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Super fun. Uh, Brad, you want to tease the after dark a little more? We got it. We got another ten oh, minutes or so. Yeah, we got some time. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Well, yep. so this is the thing. So this story um, at the Mountains of Madness, it didn't come out of nowhere. And its influence is actually, if you know how to look for it, is all over the place. So, I mean, some of the things that Lovecraft was inspired by, um, and he does a brilliant job in At the Mountains of Madness of referencing actual things and fictional things side by side. And it it, it has this effect of making things seem even more realistic. So he 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 references, for instance, um, Poe's uh, uh, Poe's novel, um, time um i can't for some reason i'm forgetting the full title um but in that there is a journey to antarctica so he's referencing that um but he's also referencing actual antarctic expeditions that have happened including by admiral bird and um so he's kind of putting these things and he's also referencing the necromonicon and um which is for people who don't know is a fictional book in the lovecraft universe it's basically a grimoire fictional right but it was then it was then later published as an actual book by Peter Lavinda, uh, the Necro Necromonicon. Um, Necronomicon. Say it with ne me. Necronomicon. Necro Necronomicon. Um, you got it. And the, the novel it. you from Poe was nailed it. Uh, yeah. The narrative of Arthur, Arthur Gordon Pym yes, of Nantucket. That's a beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, he's got a copy. He's got a very beautiful copy yeah. of the Necronomicon. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we too are. We are. We too are creating our book of dead names on the Art of Darkness that's podcast true. at artofdarkpod.com. Yeah. Go. You can go there. How many? How many core episodes have we done now, Brad? Fifty-five. Sixty. Fifty-five or fifty-six. Something like that. Fifty-five man. dead souls that we've yeah. covered, and and Lovecraft chief among them. Yeah. And let There's me give you, a, let, yeah. let me, mm -hmm. let me finish my after dark tease. So mm -hmm. things that influenced at the mountains of madness, things that were influenced by it um, for people who have ever seen the thing. Okay. So the movie, <laughs> the thing, the John Carpenter film, the thing that is based on, um, Oh, what is the name of the, what is the, there's a 1951 film. Um, I should have had this handy. Shouldn't oh, I? That's all right. Yeah. No um, worries. There's a 1951 film that it's based on, which is also which is based on another story that appeared in Astounding Tales um, in 1938. So two years after Lovecraft's story, which is, seems to be a clearly inspired by At the Mountains of Madness. Oh, um, fun. This whole thing about finding a, you know, a a 
a deep, potentially violent and terrifying secret under the ice in Antarctica, right? Um, This mixture of sort of anthropological and archaeological and paleontological and extraterrestrial themes and and the fact that they're sort of hidden in this mysterious place that's inaccessible and very difficult to get to, right? That's 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 pure Lovecraft. And um, also... (laughs) alien the, the 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 first scenes in alien where they go down and they find the egg and of course the later the later oh, yeah. uh, prometheus oh, um story alien is a like hundred percent lovecraftian mm-hmm. business mm-hmm. yeah without a doubt right and so one of the big things that lovecraft used to create at the mountains of madness is he used the the records of the expeditions of um admiral richard bird who is a navy admiral but also an explorer um in the 40s, uh, Admiral Byrd, so after Lovecraft's death, Admiral Byrd was involved in a number of other expeditions to both the North and the South Pole. And then in the 70s, some weird stuff started coming out about those expeditions in the 40s. And we're going to we're going to go into that uh, in the after dark. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Bot. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod and Matthew will come back for the After yeah. Dark. I want to demand you, it. Matthew, what is something in the Necro? Oh, man, I can't. Kevin, what is it called? Necronomicon. Necronomicon. Book Necron- of Dead Names. Yeah. Nom. What yep. is what, what can you tell us about the actual contents of that book? What's in there? <laughs> oh gosh, I paged through it. I read yeah. it a while back. Yeah. I actually bought this for a prop for a show. Oh, okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, but uh, let's just uh, gra- grab something random from the ne- Necronomicon. Yeah. What are we gonna? What's random. going on? We'll yeah, conjure, we we'll conjure uh, something. I mean, right. yeah, there's like seals uh, and how to summon things, oh. um, summon oh. demons, and summon oh. things. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> book of sure. entrance, uh, prayers, spells. Yeah. Wow. Prayers, uh, spells, incantations. The Wonderful. first name is Marduk. The first Marduk. name is Marduk. Is that that's a name of a demon, right? That is the a Lord of Lords. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah I'm looking at technically say demon. It just says Lord of Lords. Lord of Lords. Oh, yeah. So he so he created this fictional thing and then somebody put together like an actual version of it. I mean, I've seen you see this yeah. on shelves, right? I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a so I have a fun. little paperback co- paperback copy of it. It's not it's not as nice as as, as Matthew's edition, but yeah, it's just ah. something I thought I needed to have. Here's a random thing I found: Kenneth Grant, rest in rest in peace, rest in hell, where, where he's mm-hmm. he's probably having a great time right now. Uh, <laughs> he'd be a he'd be a good one, man. I mean, yeah. Kenneth Kenneth Grant is the guy where you know how in Dante and in the Inferno, the first wailing souls he meets are those who were neither you know, good enough to earn heaven or bad enough to, to earn hell and how yes. they're envious sweet, sweet of everybody limbo. else. Yeah. Yes. Kenneth Grant is being torn to pieces right now by the devil and yeah. probably loving every minute of it. Uh, but in any case, <laughs> uh, here's what it says. Kenneth Grant, the British occultist, disciple of Aleister Crowley and head of the Typhonian Ordo Templi Orientis, suggested in his 1972 book, The Magical Revival, that there was an unconscious connection between Crowley and Lovecraft. He thought they both drew on the same occult forces, Crowley via his magic and Lovecraft through the dreams which inspired his stories and the Necronomicon. Grant claimed that the Necronomicon existed as an astral book as part of the Akashic Record 
and could be accessed through ritual uh, magic or in dreams. Grant's ideas on Lovecraft were featured heavily in the introduction to the Simon Necronomicon mm -hmm. uh, and, and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is the Simon Necronomicon that we're looking at uh, here. Yeah. I, and, that's, uh, I believe so. I believe that's correct. Yeah. I see. Written, so it's a, which was, it's a book of magic. Which was written uh, with without yep. attribution by Peter Lavinda, mm. who's still around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Peter, come on the pod. I try, I've been trying to get him on the pod for years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've contacted well, we, clearly we need to, yeah. Clearly, we need to do a ritual, Brad. We, yeah, need, to we, go should. Contact, we need to summon contact him. Contact him on yeah. the astral plane. Right, 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 right. Well, this is the thing. I, you know, um, there's something in, there's something about uh, the in the occult, in the history of the occult, we always see sort of little hoaxes and little misattributions and little little things where like oh this book is way older than it actually is right this is like a, a recurrent theme and we see this i think even when we did cat talked about castaneda the other day there's an element of this too this sort of you kind of you put a bunch of bullshit between people and the thing and somehow that adds a certain mystique it adds the question of whether do you actually believe it or are you going to sort of like take a leap of faith on this thing? Are you put off by the fact that maybe it's kind of a hoax? There's there's something I think that adds a little zhuzh to, to any of this occult stuff. The fact that it's sort of, you know, a bit of a bit of flim flammery, at least on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain degree. They're just trying to sell copies. I mean, they oh, sure. Sold of a course. A yeah. ton of copies of that sucker. Yeah. And there's like apparently a ritual where you have to kill 11 people in it to make a knife. It's like, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> skip yep. that. Skip that one. Is there any that just involve like banned books? Right. <laughs> like, read banned books. Uh, Matthew, we're coming in here. We're going to go to the after dark in, you know, five, 10 minutes. Uh, Brad really did a good job teasing what he's got. I'm going to, we're going to read some Metallica lyrics. I love it. It's going to, it's it. going to rock. Yeah. Um, tease, tease Dark Pony Radio one more time. Tell people what they can expect if they go now. What do you have coming in the coming, coming sure. season? Yeah, hit it. So uh, seasons one and two are available. I think it's a total of 19 episodes, all ranging from 20 minutes to about an hour at the most. Um, it, you know, it just kind of depends on what you pick. Uh, it ranges in horror and your feel for horror. There are some that I don't feel are scary. And there are ones that people have told me they had to sleep with the light on because they were terrified. And I was like, really? Oh. <laughs> uh, we did something right. Mission uh, accomplished. So yeah. Th the goal is to have something there for everybody. Um, uh, you know, certain, uh, certain sto uh, stories. Uh, cool. We, we ended season two, which I'm very proud. So if you want to, don't know, you want to get into it, you want to check out a couple episodes. I highly recommend either Dante's Inferno uh, part three, which is one of our top downloaded episodes, just part three, not the other two. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows how and this then stuff works? Our, well, three was three was a hugely important number to Dante's, obviously. So yeah. there you go. Maybe that's yeah. it. I mean, that's where we get to the the lower lower hell. Uh, ah, yes, the grossness. Um, and then uh, 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 the episodes lust and phobia, which are completely original uh, ideas, and they are polar opposites of each other it's wonderful uh, cool. and then season three uh we will be starting off I, I can tell you our first two episodes we're gonna be starting off with um uh an actual retelling of uh an older greek myth or greek lore and a uh a haunting kind of 
horror story that we have not done yet. So Ooh. cool. That's just a tease. It's coming up on spooky in October. Season. Yeah. So yeah. We're probably, Selling, uh, yeah. as of right now, we're looking at the end of October. Um, stay tuned to the social medias. Uh, it might come out shortly, but we might aim for like a Halloween release or a day before that weekend or whatever. What's um, the, what's the URL? What's the website? Uh, it is shadowhorsetheater.com. And then you can just find it under dark pony at the, at the top. Uh, I will put can, a link to shadow horse theater in the show notes for this episode. Go on, Matthew. We're saying. Yep. So you can listen to it on dark pony radio. You can find it on other, where other podcasts are found. Uh, you can find it. Um, yeah. Oh, I should also probably say we have a book too. Yes. Oh, you, you have a book. Cool. Yeah, we, we published a bunch of the scripts uh, from oh, fun. some of the popular scripts and some of the original content. So very you cool. can get that too. Excellent. I forgot about that completely. Woo. Yeah. Uh, nice. Yeah. Rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's uh, shadowhorsetheater.com and it's R-E, R-E, shadowhorsetheater.com. Check oh, yeah, it nice. out. I think to get to the dark pony part, I think it is slash dark pony radio. Yeah, whatever. it's right there. It's whatever right that there. Slash thing is. Yeah. Yeah, you can't um, miss it. And you can listen to all, radio. all the episodes there. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll what did you sure. come away when you prepared your Dante business? What did you come away? Me? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, man, right? I so I I fell in love with Dante a long, long time ago. Um and I, I read it and I remember putting it down going, holy shit. This is, mm-hmm. a, this is what, uh, I want to do a show. I want to see this on stage. I want to, I want to see this in films. So I started trying to find every film. And at that time there wasn't much of anything. Uh, and I think the next closest medium that was coming out was what dreams may come, which is the farthest thing from Dante you can ever get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's similar, <laughs> but it's quite a bit far. Uh, so it's, um, so I, I'm always looking for new stories that continue that, that tale, but nothing's ever really truly hit what Dante hit. No. Um, you know, so he, he simultaneously I, like did a thing for the first time <laughs> and just totally mogs everybody who could ever, it's, it's, it really is staggering. I can't say yeah. enough about it. And I want to learn medieval Italian, right? right? Like it's, I, it's that good. I actually bought. The Italian version while I was in Florence because why wouldn't you? Uh, quick fun note: if you're going to Florence and you go to Dante's home, you can buy kids' books of Dante's Inferno. Actually, the whole Divine <laughs> Comedy. That's uh, awesome. I, That's I couldn't awesome. find my copies, and you can't order them online. You have to go to the house to get them. You see this, Billy? Yeah. If you don't <laughs> shut up, this is gonna be you. You see what you see? His yeah. mouth. He doesn't have a mouth, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> Right. You don't, you know, time out. You don't like time out. Yeah. <laughs> He's on time out forever. Ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, I, I want to close out real quick before we come back for after dark patreon.com slash heart of dark pod. We're going to talk about at the mountains of madness. We're going to talk about uh, its influence. We're going to talk about Metallica Patreon. Truly. We need your support. We are not joking. Everybody who signs up, everybody who sticks with us, you're helping us grow a show that we hope is already like, we know for a fact it's already reaching people around the world. People seem to like it. We love making it. We want to do this for a very long time. And uh, the Patreon support is really the, the the anchor that lets Brad and I devote more and more time, bring cool guests on like our friend Matthew here, and think about, we're, we already have next year planned. We're not going anywhere. So if you support us, 
uh, you're going to, you're going to see it reflected in the quality of what we do. All right. Um, uh, I guess I'll start with Matthew because he's our guest. Mm-hmm. What's the piece of media that scared you the most in your life? Uh, it would have you... been film. Yeah. Okay. Like, that, uh, but what as... a particular film, a particular film. Uh, one of the, there's two films actually that stood out and one of them are going to be like, what? Uh, and that was communion with Christopher Walken. Uh, and that. the second one was uh, Jeff Goldblum's or Cronenberg's Fly. Um, uh, and it's not for the things you would think. Uh, for communion, it's it Christopher Walk. It's about a um, it's an alien abduction film, alien abduction film where he plays this farmer who gets continuously gets abducted and then ends up like becoming their friends. Oh, okay. It's very oh, weird. I think, I think I've it's maybe, maybe saw, saw that. But there's one particular uh, part in that movie where the and the the sounds and the way the creatures move that not the actual aliens that do the abduction and torture, but the ones that collect him are different. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he's sitting in his bedroom waiting for them, and the door's ajar just right, and you just uh, hear the sound approaching, and then you see the stop. creatures come in. The thing was, when I was in my bedroom as a kid, I could the door would be cracked open the same way every night with the same light coming in that yeah. was in that movie. I'm like, I'm I'm fucked. I'm <laughs> if, fucked. If that, uh, <laughs> yo, if that if that's the vibe you're on, you've got to get your hands on Skinnamarink because Skinnamarink is that for the entire movie. It's just that feeling of terror <laughs> as a kid, and they made it for like twelve thousand dollars, but it. So and it's divisive. Some people are like, "What is this? This is just like long shots of walls." I'm like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> that, that's what." Uh, Brad, Brad, what what scared you the most? Yeah, the what thing that jumps thing that scared you. Yeah, the first I'll give you two. So I'm gonna give you like a real little kid one, and then like a more conscious, not an adult, but like 14 year old one that freaked me out. So little, real little one was. Disney's Fox and the Hound when they get attacked by a bear. I still have like PTSD about this bear yes. jumping out. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I literally as we as a kid I saw it in the theater and I went back and looked actually when that movie came out. It must have been like a re re um showing cuz it came out like originally like before I was born but I dove under the seat in front of us. Like crawled under the seat in front of us to get away from this bear at the movie theater. Um, but, but the thing that really like, and it still kind of freaks me out is I probably saw it when I, I must've saw it when I was like 14 was, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there's something about the way that that movie is mm. shot, that it is more realistic than any like Hollywood film now, as hard as they make it to like be sh- look good and make all the effects right. And all that, there's this moment where Leatherface, I think he, somebody gets away from him. And he has this moment of like frustration and he sits down like in his living room with the bones and everything hanging. And it's it's a moment where you get like a glimpse of him being like an actual person, sort of, but demented. Oh, that just lived in my head for so long. Like it really felt like I, a documentary that I was watching. Thank you, Matthew Kelly. Uh, we really appreciate it, Brad. We'll see you on the After Dark. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back.